ask your average postmodern relativist what he's certain about. And it will be a short discussion. Ask him what he's sure of, what he's positive of, what he's confident of, what he knows with absolute certainty. And he won't have much to say. You know the old joke, right? What are the two things that we know for sure? What's the old joke, you know? Maybe it's an American joke. <laughs> Death and taxes, right? Death and taxes. But you ask your average man on the street, who most likely these days is to be uh, relativistic in his thinking, ask him about his origin. Ask him why he exists. Ask him what his purpose is. Ask him if God is real. Ask him if evil exists. Ask him if there's life after death. Ask him if, if there's a heaven or a hell. Ask him if absolute truth exists at all. And again, most likely will be a short conversation. Uncertainties are everywhere. Are they not? In this fallen world. It's why insurance companies own most of the money in the world. It's because we send them money because we're so unsure <laughs> about everything. I'm not, I'm, not saying I'm not saying it's wrong to have insurance. That's not, don't hear me say that. But insurance companies exploit our fear of uncertainty in this fallen world. There are fear. We do have a fear of the unknown. I mean, you buy a car, but you might wreck it, so you need insurance, right? You buy a house, there might be a fire, so you need insurance. You might get sick, so you need insurance. You might lose your job, so you need unemployment insurance. You might become disabled, so you need disability insurance. You might die, so you need life insurance. The bank may fail, so you need deposit insurance. You may get sick in your old age and be helpless, so you need long-term care insurance. Someone may sue you, so you need liability insurance. I mean, we can even apply the, the, uh, the analogy to, to marriage. You know, sometimes, of course, it depends on if you have any assets, which, you know, I never had this problem. But, you know, some people nowadays, they want to sign a prenuptial agreement, right? In case just in case it doesn't work out too well. The, the only thing your average postmodern is sure of is that he can't be sure of very much of anything. And I say, what a shabby way to live. What a shabby way to live. To be unsure of the most important things in this life. Even major world religions they give very little comfort, very little assurance. If you ask your average Muslim or Buddhist or Hindu what will become of them after death, they have no idea. They really have no idea what will happen to them. Same thing is true with pseudo-Christianity. It falls into the same category. You ask your average Catholic where they, if they will go to heaven or not, they really don't know for sure. Their church propagates doubt in that regard. You really can't ever know in the Catholic system. 
And even in, in many Protestant churches, I'll say some Protestant churches, they teach that you can have your salvation and, oh, oops, lose it. Beloved, you know, <laughs> all you have to do is read your Bible. It's not that hard. Listen, don't listen to what men tell you. Don't even listen to what I tell you unless you can substantiate it by Scripture. Unless you can substantiate it by Scripture. But it's not like that for the born-again, Bible-believing Christian. It's not like that. We know a lot. We're certain about a lot. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight as we look at this great, great verse. We are certain about the important things. We, we don't have a hope-so faith. We have a no-so faith. Amen? And we don't, we don't rest on what the priest said or what the pastor said or what the preacher said. We don't rest on those things. We only rest on what we hear God say from His Word. Men may say good things. They may say important things. But many times they say wrong things. So beloved, this has to be your authority. Don't let anyone else be your authority. God's Word must be your authority. God's Word must be your authority. Jesus defined the essence of true, true Christianity. I shared with someone this week, John 17.3. Most of you know this great text. This is eternal life that you may go to church. Is that what John 17.3 says? This is eternal life that you do the sacraments. What does John 17.3 say? This is eternal life that you know Me. It's always been relational with Jesus. It's always been relational with God, with I Am. It's always been relational. It's not about being religious. It's about being in relationship. We've talked a lot about that. And if we don't know anything else, and yes, we're subject to all the uncertainties that the, the unbeliever's subject to. And if we don't know anything else, here's the deal. We know Him, right? We know Him. That's enough. That's enough for me. I don't know if it's enough for you. It's enough for me. I know the living God. I know my Creator. I know my Redeemer. I know. I'm certain. Beloved, this is an awesome thing to be able to say in this day and age. Your average person out on the street, they're not certain about anything. They're not certain about anything. But the Bible-believing Christian is. We are. We believe what God has said to us. We know Him. And He swallows up every uncertainty. Right? <laughs> In the most wonderful and beautiful way. He swallows up every uncertainty. In the fact that He is God. And He is good. And Romans 8.28 is true for us. Even if we can't make sense of what's happening today, we know that God is doing a good thing even if we can't parse it, even if we can't fully understand. We trust Him. We know He's a good God. We trust Him. That's what this book is about. This book right here. It's about knowing. It's about knowing what you need to know. 
I said to you many times, God doesn't explain everything. This is not His explanation. It's simply His revelation. And we don't have all the answers that maybe we think we would like to have, but we have all the indispensable answers. We have all the answers that we need to know to be reconciled to our Creator, to know our Redeemer, and to have eternal life. We know. We know He has told us. No. This word appears over 1,100 times in the Bible. It actually appears 39 times in this little five-chapter book of 1 John. We know! We know. Beloved, we know. Do you know? Let me just stop and ask. Do you know? Do you have certainty in your life? Can you live a radical Christian life out in the world because your God is God and your God is good? That's what God expects. <laughs> it's what He expects. It's what He expects of His sons and daughters. Let me just summarize real quickly a few things that we know. We know He's God. We know He's God. We know He is breathtaking. We know we were made by Him and for Him. We know it. We know it. We know why the world is so messed up. We know why it's so violent and brutal and full of calamity and disease and pain. We know it. We abdicated our dominion to the evil one. In the garden, we get that. We understand that. We understand it. We know that's I am in a manger. And we know why He's there. We know it. He's told us. He's there because He loves His people. He's there because He's come to save His people. As we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, the groom has come for His bride. It's an awesome thing. We know. We know. We know why we're here. We know why we're here. And we know who our Savior is. That's I am on the cross. We understand it. That's not some misguided Jewish carpenter. It's God. And He's on the cross to save me. To save me. I am is on the cross to save me. How can I not give myself away? <laughs> I mean, really. I mean, we, we, I say this to you all the time, but if you really believe this stuff, I mean, if it's not just dogma to you, but if you really believe it, how can you not give yourself away to this awesome God? It's, it's spectacular. The Gospel is spectacular. And we know what He's like. He's told us. He's holy. He's righteous. He's good. He's faithful. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's long-suffering. He's almighty. He's sovereign. He's supreme in authority. He's beautiful. He's majestic. He's mysterious. He's compelling. There's no God like Him, He says in Isaiah. He says, there's no God like Me. I'm God and nobody else is. That's what He says in Isaiah. He says, I'll accomplish all my good pleasure. No one in heaven and earth can stay my hand. Beloved, you can be radical in the world because your God is God. We know He's God. We know He's God. Are we living like He's God? We know that He's loved us with an everlasting love. He's told us. We know we belong to Him. We know that He's our shield and our rock and our fortress, our deliverer, our refuge, our strong tower. We know He has plans for us, plans for welfare and hope and an eternity filled with unspeakable and unimaginable bliss and pleasure. He's told us these things. We know this stuff. We know this stuff. It's awesome. It is awesome. 
We know that we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. We know that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We know about eternity. We know He's preparing a place for us and He's coming back for us. We know that our inheritance is beyond human imagination. We know that we will see, taste, and be caught up in the life and glory of God Himself. John chapter 17. I could go on talking about all that God has told us as a certainty in His Word till I fall over. We simply don't have the time. But I'm trying to make the point. You're supposed to know and you're supposed to live it. That's really, that's really Christianity. You're supposed to know He's God. You're supposed to know you're redeemed. You're supposed to know your call. And you're supposed to live it. Beloved, it's never been hard. <laughs> it's never really been very complex. You know, no one's ever likened Christianity to, to rocket science. It's not. It's not rocket science. I know men try to cloak it in mystery. And there is mystery in Christianity, but, but we... we we understand the essentials. There's no debate if we're reading our Bibles and understanding them. So we aren't like the world. We aren't like men and women caught up in false religion. We aren't like the men and women who are caught up in pseudo-Christianity. We love our Bibles. We read our Bibles. We eat our Bibles. We, we digest our Bibles. We, it's, our, it's our milk. It's our meat. We come here and, and we... we, we, we we listen to the Word of God be proclaimed. We know the Word. We know He's an awesome God. We know He's sufficient answer to any, to any and all uncertainties that we may face. We've said it many times, but I can't resist. I have to say it as often as I can. He is Jehovah Jireh. What does it mean? He is Jehovah Jireh. He, he provides. He will see to it. He's the I will see to it God. It doesn't matter how uncertain the thing looks in your life. It doesn't matter. He's the I will see to it God. He's the I will see to it God. <laughs> Don't you love it? Yes, we're subject to uncertainty, but hey, I know I am. And He's the I will see to it God. So we don't live in fear. We don't live with anxiety. We don't wring our hands and worry about every little thing that the world worries about. Because our God is God and He's the I will see to it, God. So what I want to say to you, I want to make sure you hear this. God expects His children to be certain about Him. God expects us to be certain we are His. And then God expects us to live that way. So I'm going to stop and ask you, are you living this way? Are you living this way? Like God is God. You belong to Him. And everybody in your orbit knows it. There's not one person in your orbit that doesn't know that your God is God and He is a good and awesome God and you belong to Him. There's not one person in your orbit that doesn't know that, right? There shouldn't be. There should not be one person in your orbit that's not absolutely sure who you are and why you're here. Beloved, it's the call of Christianity. As I've said to you many times, He's never called anyone to be a church member. He calls us to be what? Someone tell me. Disciples. Disciples. We're called to be disciples. God says, I want you to know you're mine, 
Because I want you to live like you're mine. I want you to be a fully persuaded Christian. I love that, that imagery. A fully persuaded Christian. You know, Abraham was fully persuaded. Fully persuaded. This is what 1 John is about. God wants you to be fully persuaded. Because fully persuaded Christians turn the world upside down. <laughs> they don't just simply go to church. Going to church is good. You should come to church. But fully persuaded Christians... They turn the world upside down. Wherever they go, they turn the world upside down. They know that their God is God and they know they belong to Him. So, long introduction, but I only have one verse tonight. Chapter 5, verse 13. These things I have written to you, again, all the stuff that, he's, he's, uh, that John has written in this book, first five chapters. I've written all this stuff, he says. Um... Uh, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may hope that you have eternal life, right? In order that you may hope you have it. In order that you may know you have it. Beloved, the certainty is your license. It is your license to be an extraordinary Christian out in the world. So I want to make two points, uh, two points tonight. What are these things? We, I've mentioned it to you already. These things are what, what we've been talking about in 1 John for the last month or so. These things that give us assurance that we are, in fact, Christians. The second thing I want to touch on is what we're supposed to do with this knowing. I've already alluded to, to both, but those, those are my, my main points that I want to try to talk about tonight. As we've said many times in 1 John... The book, this is the book of assurance in the Bible. We're supposed to hold up 1 John. We're supposed to look into it and see our reflection. If we're a Christian, we see our reflection coming back. Again, not perfectly. We, we've been making the point. We're, we're not perfect. Um, we never arrive at perfection in this life. We get that. But there's some things, some, some, some things in 1 John we're supposed to look like. And that's what I want to talk about in summary tonight as we kind of summarize some of the things that we have discussed in the previous months. So how can we know for sure we're a Christian? Because the priest said I was. Because the preacher said I was. Because I did the sacraments. Because I was baptized. Because I prayed a prayer someone told me to pray. That's how I know I'm a Christian, right? Wrong! You won't find any of that stuff in 1 John. <laughs> you won't find any of it in 1 John. What's in 1 John? God says, my people believe. My people believe. And it's not just mental assent. They believe in such a way that their lives are changed. My people, they believe. My people obey. My people obey. Not perfectly, we understand. But my people, it's their heart's desire to obey me and honor me in their life. And to give testimony to me in their obedience. To worship me in their obedience. And then he says, my people love. My people love me, and they love my people. <laughs> that's really 1 John. There are a lot of subordinate points we could pull out, but that's really, the, the, that's really the, the principal points of 1 John. We believe, we obey, and we love. If you want to know for sure if you're a Christian, read 1 John. Are you believing in such a way that your life has radically changed? Are you obeying the Lord? And are you loving the body? God says, 
This is Christianity. We know we have eternal life. Number one, because we believe, as Paul told the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5.17, the old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. This is how we believe. We believe in such a way that all the old stuff is gone or leaving and we're, we're, we're coming into God things. We're learning to love God stuff. He's paramount. He's paramount in our life. We, let me just give you a quick review. John says in the first, book, first verse of the book, he says, concerning the Word of life, that being Jesus, he says, we confess the Son. Now listen, if you, I'm not going to have time to give you all the verses here. If you want all the verses, email me. I'll send you my notes. Okay? Or you can go on the podcast site and listen, but I'm not going to give you all the references because we'd be here too long. But I'm just going to rapidly go through 1 John on each, each, each one of these three points. So we believe. We confess the Son. We believe in the Son. We confess Jesus has come in the flesh. Whoever confesses Jesus is the Son, God abides in Him. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God. True Christians really believe. Now, again, not in some dead, perfunctory, religious way, but in a way that changes every day, every single day of our lives. Secondly, the authentic Christian loves to obey Jesus Christ. Again, none of us do it perfectly, but it is our heartbeat. It is our desire to obey the Lord, to honor Him in that way. John says, again, just some verses throughout the book, we, the, the true believer practices the truth. The true believer walks in the light. He keeps uh, the Lord's commandments. He keeps His Word. He abides in Him. He practices righteousness. Uh, we do not practice sin. We observe His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. There it is. It's just as plain as it can be. God says, my people obey. And there's that kind of line in the sand verse, 1 John 3.10. By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. How? How are they obvious? Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. It doesn't matter how religious they are, even if they're religious in a Christian way. As we know what Jesus will say on the last day, we know from Matthew chapter 7, there'll be many. He doesn't say there'll be a handful. He says there'll be many. He'll say to me, I did a bunch of cool stuff in your name, Jesus. And Jesus will say, I don't know who you are. So we know there's much deception, even in the Christian circle. There's much deception. So he says, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother, which is the third point. The genuine Christian loves and serves the body of Christ. We've talked about it over and over and over and over and over again. You know? This is really, I guess, the principal point. Of 1 John, don't say you're a Christian and not be loving and serving the body. You're probably deceiving yourself. Don't say, don't say you're a Christian. Don't claim to be a Christian, beloved, unless you're really loving and serving the body of Christ. This is what Christians do according to the Word of God. According to the Word of God. 
Just a few verses. The one who loves his brother abides in the light. We should love one another. We know we've passed out of death and into life. Why? Because we love the body. We love one another as Jesus commanded. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. We ought to love one another. If we love one another, God abides in us. The one who abides in love abides in God. The one who says, I love God but hates his brother, he's a liar. It's very clear. The true Christian, the born-again Christian, the redeemed Christian, he loves the body. It's the signature of his life. (laughs) He loves the body. And you can see it. You can hear it. You can feel it. We talked about that great verse uh, a month or so ago, John. 1 John 3.16 We know love by this that, we, that He laid His life down for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We've talked about this in Western Europe. Some of you may live in dangerous countries. I don't know. But in Western Europe, we're, we're not going to be martyred. What's He talking about? I've said it to you many times. He's talking about laying your life down in love and service to the body. Using your gift in the body. Using your resources in the body. That's what He's talking about. I was listening to a MacArthur sermon just last week just for entertainment. This is what preachers do sometimes for entertainment. You know, Matthew 25. And uh, yeah, he's talking about, he's talking about, you know, Jesus separates the sheep and the goats, you remember? He said, you loved me. You came to me. You fed me. You clothed me. Enter Enter into your inheritance. And to the goats, he said, you know, you never did any of those things. Again, we're not saved by works. We get that. I don't want you to misunderstand me. But if we're, if we're real Christians, it's flowing out of our life. And, Jesus, and they said, well, Jesus, when did we do that to you? He said, when you did it to the least of my people, you did it to me. Isn't that an awesome thing? You know, Jesus says, man, if you just give a cup of water to someone, God says, I, I tell you the truth, you'll never lose your reward. So the believer is loving the body. The believer is giving to the body. The believer is serving the body. The believer is using his gift in the body. This is what it means in part to be a Christian. In the first three verses of chapter 5, the Lord basically summarizes all that we've just said. I'm just going to read it to you. Chapter 5, verse 1, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. He believes, right? And whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. He believes and He loves. Verse 2, By this we know that we love the children of God. There it is again. When we love God and observe His commandments, we obey. There it is. We obey. Verse 3, For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. There it is again. And His commandments are not burdensome. That's the whole book right there. 1 John 5, 1-3. through That's what the Lord is saying to His people. These are the hallmarks of true conversion. Belief, obedience, and love. Belief, obedience, and love. So when someone says, you know, why should God let you into your heaven? Well, why why should God let you into heaven? We understand. It's all based on the, the grace of Jesus Christ. We get that. But we have some sense that our life has been imperfectly, but at least in part, it has been about the fact that we believe and we live like we believe. 
we obey, and we love. This is Christianity. This is Christianity. So we get it. We know we're His. So what are we supposed to do with the fact that we know that we have eternal life? So this will be the second major point that I want to try to discuss with you. As we mentioned two weeks ago, the Holy Spirit prompted John to write the Gospel for this reason. You'll remember John 20.31, These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that believing you might have life through His name. The Gospel was written that we might believe and we might have life. So why was this, this epistle written? This little epistle called 1 John. Why did the Holy Spirit prompt John to write it? In order that you may know that you have eternal life. You're supposed to know. You're supposed to know. And if you struggle with the fact, well, I'm not sure, Jim, if I have assurance about my salvation, then, then I would say read 1 John. Read 1 John. And you'll know where you are with God. It's not hard. It's not hard. God reveals Himself that we might believe, have life, and know that we have life. Why does God want us to know that we have life? Again, that we might be fully persuaded Christians and that we might live like we are fully persuaded Christians. You remember a month or so ago we looked at chapter 5, verse 4 and 5. Don't you remember that great text? What, is it, what does that text say? We are what? what? What are we as a child of God? What we are... Does anybody remember? It's a real famous athletic logo. Some of you probably have it on your person right now. We are... Nike. We are overcomers. We are Nike. Nike. Is how it's pronounced in the English world. It's Greek. Nike. We're overcomers. We're victors. We overwhelmingly conquer in Christ. Man, you've got to be a fully persuaded Christian to be a conqueror, to be a victor. This is what God wants us to know. We're Nike. Just do it. As Nike says, just do it. Just go do it. <laughs> just go do the Word, beloved. Just go do the Word. How do we overcome the despair, doubt, and uncertainties of the world? We know our God is God. We know He's a promise keeper. We are Nike. We are Nike because He is who He is. You may remember the analogy that I used or the illustration I used about Christian being in the, the, the dungeon of Doubting Castle. Do you remember the story from Pilgrim's Progress? Christian and Hopeful were in, doubt, uh, in the dungeon of Doubting Castle and they let this... The giant of despair just hold them captive and beat them daily for, for days and days and days. And then finally, Christian remembered he had the key the whole time. What was the key? The whole time he had the key. The whole time he was in despair, in doubt, he had the key. What was the key? Someone tell me. Anybody remember? The promise of God. He had the Word of God. He had the promise of God. He had it the whole time. And guess what? That key unlocked every lock in Doubting Castle. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful analogy. So they walked out of Doubting Castle because they remembered our God's God, our God's a promise keeper. I'm a fully persuaded Christian. I have the key. 
It's the truth. <laughs> I have the key. I can be fearless in the world, in school, or in my workplace. I can be bold. I can love my spouse like I should love my spouse. I can love my kids like I should love my kids. I have the key. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I have the key. It's the promise of God. My God's God. I have the promise of God. God says in 1 John 5.13, I want you to know you have eternal life. I want you to know you're mine. And I want you to live like you're mine. That's what it's all about, beloved. That's what all this is about. It's not so, you know, we might have uh, we might be at our leisure spiritually and think, well, I've got my eternal box checked, so that's the only reason I need to know that, that I have eternal life. Wrong. God means for you to do something with it, with this knowledge. God means for you to live a, a Hebrews 11 life with this knowledge. This is not about the, the theological orthodoxy. It's about how you and I are living out in the world. That's really what this is about. We overcome the world. Remember what it said. 1 John 5. Where is it? Verse 4. We overcome the world by what? By our religion. By our church going. By our do-gooding. By doing sacraments. How, how do we overcome the world? What does the text say? By our faith. Our faith. Our faith in God, you guys know what Hebrews 11.6, maybe my, I don't know, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Uh, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So let me ask you, where is faith in your life? Is there faith in your life? Is your faith visible? You know, God expects your faith to be manifest. This is what He's talking about in Matthew 25. Well, you came to Me and you ministered to Me. Their faith was manifest. It was real. It wasn't theoretical. It wasn't theoretical. It was real. God expects our faith to be manifested in our lives. So Christian, are you pleasing God right now with your faith? Are you living your faith? Are you living by the promise of God? Are you pulling out your key called the promise of God and using it? If you built your life around who He is, are you living your life like He's the I will see to it God? Some simple questions for us tonight. God wants you to know you're His because He wants you to live it. This is really, uh, this is really a, an important verse for all of us. This is an important verse for all of us. You know, I, I've heard this taught many times. Well, God just wants us to know so we can be at our ease. Theologically, we understand we have eternal, we have eternal security. That's great. That's great. We do have eternal security. That's great, but that's not all it's about. <laughs> it's about we, that we would go out and live it, that we would go out and live it. Hebrews 11 we must not only believe that God is, we must believe that God is someone tell me. What? A rewarder. You must believe God is good. You know, you'll, you'll, never, you'll never really take a risk with God unless you really believe He's good. This is a character issue. 
God says, okay, you believe I am, that's great. Well, what kind of God do you believe I am? Do you believe I'm good? Do you believe I keep my promise? Live like it. Do you believe I reward those who seek me? Live like it. <laughs> Live like it. And i got to tell you something. Many of you could give testimony in this room. It's so much fun. Because He is a rewarder. Amen? He is a rewarder. He's a promise keeper. And He's a rewarder. And you find that out when you stick your neck out a little bit. You know? And you, and you do the hard thing in obedience. And He shows up. <laughs> and there's a ram in the bush. Right? I had a guy down in Doha. He said, Jim, I, man, I, I, I think I told you this already. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm old. I forget. But, you know, he said, Jim, he said, Jim, man, he says, he says I, I want to I I encounter God. I said, have you been to Mount Moriah? Have you been in the lion's den? Have you stood where Stephen stood? That's a God encounter. You want more of God? Go to Mount Moriah. Do the hard obedience. Do the really hard obedience. You'll have a God encounter. Absolutely. God always comes to His people when they're on Mount Moriah, as Abraham was. Or in the lion's den, as Daniel was. Or in the furnace, as Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were. Or He was there with Stephen, as we know. As Stephen was, was stoned. Beloved, do you know that He's God? And do you know He's good? And the most important thing is, are you living like these things are true? That's really the point. That's really the point for us tonight. Again, the word know is repeated over 1,100 times in Scripture. 39 times in 1 John. Our faith is not a hope so. Faith, it is a no-so faith. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> Are you living it like it's a no-so faith? <laughs> or is it just some kind of, you know, I don't know, blind hope that maybe something good will happen if, if I venture out? Something good will happen if you'll venture out. If you'll get out of the boat and walk on the water, I guarantee you something awesome will happen. You'll be walking with the living God. You'll be walking with the living God as you get out of your boat. So all this knowing, all this assurance, all this certainty is supposed to be coming out of our hands, coming off our tongue. Um, we're supposed to be doing it. We're supposed to be living these lies. Radical lies. God-sized lies. Extravagant lies of faith. And so tonight, I'm just going to close. I'm just going to take a few minutes. I don't do this very often. I may have done it once or twice of late. I don't think so. But I'm just going to give testimony. Okay? Is it okay if I just give testimony? You know, sometimes you need to know that your pastor's not an empty suit, right? Because a lot of pastors are empty suits. And there might have been at one time when I was an empty suit. But I'm not an empty suit anymore. I've actually been some places with the Lord and I've experienced some things. So I'm just, and I'm not holding myself up as, as an example. I am a Christian giving testimony to who God is and how good He is. Okay? That's all I want to do tonight as I close. As a young Christian, I was very miserly with God. Yeah? I mean, I'm a CPA. CPAs, in another life, I was a CPA. And we're the worst. You know, we're the worst. And I, I like to, 
You know, I was more interested in hoarding and having than giving. And as I became a Christian, God began to um, convict me about that. You know, I didn't think it was wise to give a lot of money. I didn't think it was safe to give a lot of money. You know, it was that treasure problem. I had, I had a treasure problem and I had a trust problem. <laughs> but the Lord said, Jim, I'm God and I'm good. Will you honor me in your finances? I've been doing it for 30 years. <laughs> and he's, he's good. He's good. I don't know what excuses you're giving to God for not being free and, and, and worshiping Him with your money. But He is a faithful God. You know, He says, so bountifully and I will bless you. He has for 30 years. I'm here, I'm a Christian, giving testimony to the fact that God is good for His Word. He is a rewarder of those who believe and obey. When the Lord called me to leave my profession at the age of 42 and go to seminary, I was scared to death. As they say in the South, I was scared spitless. I was scared to death. But God came to me and said, Jim, I'm God and I'm good. Do you believe it? You know, that was, I've told you this story before. That's how He got me to seminary. I, he says, Jim, I know you, you know I'm God, but you don't really believe I'm good. If you, believe, if you believed I was good, you'd go. If you believed I actually reward my, my kids, you'd go. So, trembling, I quit my job and I went to seminary. Oh, guess what? He met me there. There was a ram in the bush. He supplied all my needs. It was awesome. Listen, don't be afraid to go where God's calling you to go. You know, we're not all called to go to seminary. But whatever God's calling you to do, don't be afraid. If you are, you know, pull out that prayer that we all have to use sometimes. Lord, I believe, I believe. What? Help my unbelief. You know, we all have to pull that one out if we're walking with Jesus. We all have to pull that one out. God called Karen and I to come to Italy. We left our home and and family, and we came here to lead a church that was no longer meeting, had no members, and could not pay us a living wage. God says, I'm God and I'm good. We've been doing this eight and a half years now. <laughs> We've been walking on water for eight and a half years now. And it's a blast. Right, babe? It's a blast. I wouldn't live any other way except out of the boat and on the water. It's just... You know, it's no surprise to anyone who's born again that it's just a lot of fun to walk with the giver of immortal gladness. You know? Walk with the giver of immortal gladness. It's just a lot of fun. The Lord has met every need. Four years ago, Karen was diagnosed with cancer. And we faced that together. And we fell on God. We trusted the Lord. I was re reviewing my journal. I keep a, a journal which I encourage all Christians to do so you can revisit God's goodness and faithfulness to you. Back on Sunday, August 31st, 2008, I wrote this. Karen said to me this morning, I have cancer, but I am so happy. My Father holds me. Beloved. <laughs> That's what you're supposed to do with the knowing. 
You're supposed to do crazy stuff. You're supposed to get out of the boat. You're supposed to face down cancer. Why? Because our God is God and our God is good. So beloved, there's a lot here for us tonight. There's a lot at stake for us tonight. He's come that we might believe and that we might have life and then that we might know that we have life, that we might live that life. That's what this is about. So I'm just going to challenge you to to leave here tonight and examine your own heart. This is what a, a, a loving pastor does on occasion. As Paul told the Corinthians, examine your heart. Are you in the faith? Say, well, Jim, that that's, uh, doesn't sound very loving. Yes, it's loving. I don't want you to be deceived. Examine your heart. Do you look like 1 John? Do you look like 1 John? Do you believe? Are you obeying? And are you loving? This is the Word of God. I'm going to close with Isaiah 41.10. God says to His prophet, Do not fear, for I am with you. Does anyone believe it? Anybody? Anybody believe it? A few people believe it. That's good. That's good. You have license. If you believe it, you have license to do Hebrews 11. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Beloved, go live it. I tell you all the time, you've got just a few moments left on the planet. Go do it. Go do it with all haste. You don't have time. We don't have time to hedge. Go do it. Let's pray together. What a great God You are. A God who sets us free from all uncertainty, from all anxiety, from all manner of fear and doubt because You're God. You've told us what we need to know. You've told us all that we need to know. Essentially, that You're God and You're good. And You're a promise keeper. Jesus has come that we might believe and have life. And having life, we might live it. That we might be fully persuaded So Lord, thank You for this message. I thank You that You have challenged each of us here tonight. Anew and afresh. To understand we're here to be disciples. We're here to be disciples. So thank You, Lord, for this challenge. Give us the courage and the boldness and the faith to walk like a son or daughter of the King. It's our great desire and privilege and honor to to magnify Jesus in the world. So Lord, be with us as we leave this place. Convict us if we have been apathetic, if we have been casual, if we have been lukewarm in the things of God. Convict us, Lord. 
Help us to repent of, of those sins that we might go out into the world and turn it upside down for the glory of Jesus. That we might do every last thing You've called us to do. And we can because You're God and You're good. Thank You, Father, that we have this certainty. Thank You, Father, that we can know this and we can act upon it. We can live this. Thank You, Father. What a great God You are. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.